Hello there, and welcome to my podcast. I'm Connie. I'm a certified nutritionist, personal trainer, busy mom, and I live on a small hobby farm. I'm a former bodybuilder, and I currently have found a love for endurance sports. But I'm not your typical athlete. I believe there are many more contributors to athletic performance and overall health, and that we as a population might be doing it wrong. You won't see me pounding goose or chicken and rice, but you will see me in the pursuit to fuel not only athletic performance, but also balance it with optimal health. This is not just a podcast for athletes. Many people that fall into the health scene get there for a reason. I found myself in suboptimal states at multiple times in my life, and it has really sparked my passion for metabolic and systemic health. I'm constantly a student of what I love, and now I hope to help others by bringing quality guests to the show to share their opinions and resources to hopefully help you formulate strategies to help you crack your health code. Hey guys, welcome back. I'm so excited that you decided to join me for another episode of the podcast. I really do enjoy doing these. I love speaking with the guests that come on and share all their information. It really is a lot of fun and I really enjoy getting this stuff out to other people too because you never know what somebody's going to say that could totally change somebody's life. So it's really great stuff and it makes me really super excited. I know as far as myself, I just recently signed up for a few new classes, which I'm excited to take. Um, A lot of these are targeting hormones and the gut health relationship with them, which I'm really into. I've also been diving into some stuff about stress, which has been really eye-opening. I knew stress was really, really bad, but uh, not as bad as I am now learning. It's even worse. So, uh Yeah, it's pretty crazy what stress can do to you and hormones and all these things. And I'm really excited to further my knowledge with these upcoming classes. So that's been a lot of fun and super exciting. Today, I am really excited because I have Dr. Ted Naiman coming on the podcast. He's a board certified family medicine physician in the Department of Primary Care in Seattle. His research and medical practice are focused on practical implementation of diet and exercise for health optimization. He has an undergraduate degree in mechanical engineering and an addiction to ultimate frisbee. He is a pro level bassist in his spare time. You guys, Ted has a lot of information. He just released a book called The PE Diet. So today he is on the podcast to talk about what the PE Diet is and what it stands for, which is protein to energy ratio, and why he thinks so many of us are obese and hungry all the time. So he's got a lot of amazing things to share on the podcast today. If you guys find value in this podcast, I ask that you pretty please go leave me a review. They are so important. They help change the algorithm so that people can find this podcast, because without those reviews, it's essentially invisible. And I work too hard to have this podcast be invisible. It's a lot of work. It takes a lot of time. And I really love getting information out there, but I can't do that without reviews. So please, they are so important. I know it's hard to go and take a minute out of your day, especially in this busy world we live in. But if you do that, it would help me out immensely and I would appreciate it so, so much. This episode is also brought to you by Beauty Counter. I know I recently became an advocate for better beauty with Beauty Counter, and I am enjoying their products 
so much. Like I had broke into them back in November of last year with some of their foundations and stuff. And now I have found my new addiction. Uh, definitely the lip gloss is my favorite by far, hands down. The first time I ever stuck it on, I was like, holy cow, is this for real? It's not sticky. It doesn't have a bad taste and it stays on well. Like I can wear it for a couple of hours and it doesn't like stick off to everything else and it my hair doesn't get stuck in it and all of those kind of things that you have to deal with when you are wearing lip gloss. So I really am in love uh, with their lip gloss. The peony color is my favorite in their Beyond Gloss. And their stuff is completely chemical free, you guys, which is extremely important. I can't tell you how important that is. Our skin soaks up so much stuff that we put on it. And I became aware of this and started to change my beauty routine about a year ago when I went on hormone replacement therapy and I had to put the hormones on my skin. And all of a sudden it was like, holy cow, if I can soak these hormones in through my skin, then what else am I soaking up? And that was like a huge paradigm shift for me. So uh, I highly recommend that everybody starts taking a look at what's in their beauty products. If you need a list, go check out my website. I'm happy, happy to share one with you or DM me on Instagram or whatever. But um, I basically just started switching my whole beauty routine out. So when I was out of one thing, I filled it back up with something that was completely clean, free of parabens and phylates and sodium, sodium lauryl sulfate and all of those horrible things that we're putting on our body. Fragrance, so bad. Uh, anyway, if you guys are looking to start changing your beauty routine, I highly recommend their products. You can head on over to beautycounter.com forward slash Connie Nightingale. Get in there, try their products, tag me in it. I want to know what you think because I am obsessed. So without further ado, no more blabbing. Here is my episode with Ted Naiman. All right, Ted, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you here. Oh, wow. Thanks for having me. Great to talk to you. So we have a lot, you have a lot of information out there and we're going to have a lot to cover today. But before we jump into that too much, do you want to tell my listeners a little bit about who you are, what you do, what you got you going with things because you have a new book out? Oh yeah, sure. Okay. So I'm just a primary care doctor up here in Seattle and uh, I think you're up here in the Pacific Northwest somewhere too. I am right? too. So, we're, o- we're only three hours away from each other. All right. Sweet. Yeah. Pacific Northwest for the women. Yeah. I'm just a primary care doctor up here and I've been doing that for about 20 years. And uh, early on, I realized that diet was like a huge big deal, right? Diet and exercise. And pretty much uh, all I'm about is um, I'm a guy who has to encapsulate how important diet and exercise is and how to do it into like a 15 minute visit, like, you know, for thousands of patients. And so I've really just been trying to streamline uh, the ability to communicate that to people. And that's pretty much what's led me to where I'm at. Uh, I'm kind of a nerd and I like um, researching just anything I can find in the medical literature on diet and exercise and health. And so I've kind of come up with a little system of 
basically explaining what the key levers are for diet and exercise and health in as little time as possible because that's what it's like when you're <laughs> primary care so yeah that, and so i wrote a book uh i uh that's kind of what brought me to where i'm at and probably why you're interviewing me <laughs> i love all of that and you know it's it's a great thing that you're you're bringing that up because this is something that's become kind of um kind of uh, a thing as far as like health coaching and stuff like that goes. I know that a lot of physicians are like, oh, well, health coaches can't tell you what you should be doing or vice versa. I know you probably look at it from a little bit of a different standpoint because of the realm that you're in more of a holistic approach to things. But, uh, you know, but the thing is, is in the end, our, our general practitioners are so pressed for time that sometimes it's really hard for them to look at the big picture. So I think when there's health coaches out there that maybe can catch something and be like, Hey, bring this to your provider's attention. Uh, it's a really big positive thing because everybody's kind of looking at things from different angles. Oh yeah, absolutely. And honestly, like I feel like 80% of my job could be replaced with a good, you know, therapist, personal trainer, personal chef and health coach. You know, that's like, you know, the outcome there would be just great. So, you know, I, I'm basically trying to recreate all that by myself, sadly. Yeah. Yeah. And so many providers are. And then I think, um, I mean, and you can probably enlighten us a little bit on this, but in traditional Western medicine training, a lot of the nutrition portion isn't really involved in that. And so you're then now trying to to teach something that you may not have a firm understanding of coming fresh out of school as a, a medical provider. Yeah, absolutely. Like we just get this tiny amount of nutrition information. And most of my nutrition information was how to keep people alive in the ICU with total parenteral nutrition, feeding them through a vein. You know what I mean? That's really where I, I spent most of my uh, time in, in medical school and residency. So yeah, we just really don't have a good feel for, you know, <laughs> what an optimally healthy diet would be when we come out of medical school, unfortunately. Well, so luckily enough, there are doctors like you out there that are pursuing higher uh, levels of education when it comes to nutrition. And so that kind of sent you towards this book that you wrote. And so can you explain a little bit about your book and we'll kind of talk about your take on nutrition as far as all that goes? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Okay. So, well, first of all, I've, you know, I've been every diet religion there is from uh, vegan to plant-based to low fat to low carb, keto, paleo, carnivore, and the whole, you know, spectrum out there. And, and what I came to realize is that actually all of these diets are trying to do the exact same thing, which is really improve nutrient density and lower energy density and improve satiety per calorie and give people better body composition and therefore better health. And so they're all really kind of the same thing. And so I just spent a lot of time thinking about what are the, the big rocks in the jar that actually power all these diet religions and what are the biggest levers that you can pull. And uh, so I wrote this book called The PE Diet. It's looking at your diet from a protein versus energy standpoint. And I go all the way back to where food comes from, you know. So plants make all the food for all animals. They're at the base of the food chain. Animals are only alive because we constantly ingest other living organisms of some kind. 
and all animals are only alive because plants make all our food for us. And what plants are really doing is just capturing solar energy and converting it into chemical energy, carbs and fats, and then capturing nutrients from soil, like all the minerals that we need to be alive, uh, especially nitrogen for protein. And so your plant is, is basically sucking nitrogen and minerals out of the soil and uh, sucking solar energy out from the sun and storing it as carbon fats. And then we come along and eat these plants or we eat an animal that's eating these plants. And you can really look at your diet from a protein versus energy standpoint. And a lot of the low fat versus low carb and plants versus animals, they're really just attempts to try to improve the protein to energy ratio of your diet. And I, I, what I realized is low fat and low carb are actually the same, two sides of the same coin and they just don't know it. And so this book is about how to focus on your protein to energy ratio. So you have to be a way, or you get to be way less dogmatic about low carb versus low fat or, um, anything like that, you know, you don't have to worry about as much about plants versus animals because that's just a false dichotomy, which a lot of religious zealot type people have come up with. And uh, this book lets you transcend a lot of the diet religions and just kind of look at what's really going on from a scientific point of view, honestly. I love that because, you know, it's a really hard one, right? There's so many, there's a million different diets out there. And there can be benefit to all of them, right? In some way, shape or form. And, you know, to me, I feel like the biggest benefit to any kind of diet is the fact that you're all of a sudden paying attention to what you're doing, <laughs> aside from the seafood diet, right? <laughs> Which mm -hmm. is where you eat everything in sight. Um, so um, tell us a little bit of what this might look like then, if, if somebody was to try to take this on as, as a, a way of living. Okay, sure. All right. So a lot of the book is based on the protein leverage hypothesis. Uh, doctors Rabenheimer and Simpson in Australia, these guys realized that across pretty much every animal species, you have some sort of protein phenomenon where a lot of animals are just eating to get enough protein. So humans have a very powerful protein satiety uh, drive. And basically humans eat until they get enough protein and then only then do they stop eating, right? So you're going to eat until you get enough protein. Um, the modern food environment is so protein diluted because we dump so many refined carbs and refined fats in there like sugar and flour and oil. And so basically you have to overeat carbs and fats now just to get enough protein to not be hungry. So, you know, over the past 60 years of the obesity epidemic, we've seen protein percent you know, drop from maybe 15% down to 12 and percent. And because we've diluted protein that much more, uh, you know, we end up having to eat way more calories just to get enough protein to not be hungry. So what the diet looks like is targeting protein. It's basically making protein more of a focus and, uh, for, you know, protein should be the focus of every meal. Protein should be the focus of every snack. You know, you basically only eat when you're hungry. And when you're hungry, you look for a protein source. And then you're also paying attention to how much energy comes along with that protein source, whether you want it to or not. You know, are you eating some sort of lean grass-fed beef that, that's a lot of protein and just a little bit of fat? Or are you eating, you know, straight um, conventionally raised bacon, which is just like the fattest part of the fattest animal that's artificially fattened and like the 
protein energy ratio is a lot lower because you're getting all this fat when you eat this protein. Or, you know, you know, from a plant source, maybe you're eating lentils or something, which has a really high protein to energy ratio versus you're eating, you know, something like rice where you're going to have to massively overeat carbohydrate calories to get enough protein for protein satiety. So the diet is basically paying attention to your protein goal and targeting protein, and then thinking about how much energy is coming along for the ride, whether you want it to or not. I love that. So like, for example, it, and tell me if I'm wrong, but if you're eating, like, I mean, I had somebody the other day go, well, there's protein in oatmeal. <laughs> and I was like, uh, yeah, but you know, like, I mean, so you would have to literally eat like a five gallon bucket of, of oatmeal in order, <laughs> in order to get a little bit of protein. And then I don't know how you feel about this, but some plant proteins aren't actually bioavailable to us either. So then you add that into the mixture and you have a whole nother ball game. Yeah, right. Basically. Yeah. So, I mean, oatmeal, it has fiber, which gives you some satiety possibly. But if you look at all your bodybuilders and bikini models and Instagram models, they're all putting whey powder in their protein, right? You just buy protein supplement to add to your oatmeal because oatmeal by itself is just not getting it done like you said so you have to you almost have to use a hack just to make oatmeal a reasonable food um so it's just and the average person doesn't doesn't get that or doesn't understand that and then oatmeal is not necessarily the best choice so you're totally right yeah i, I agree with you 100 percent well, and you know, it's interesting that you're saying this because I recall a couple of years ago when I first started podcasting, I had Brian Sanders on the podcast and he had a very similar hypothesis where he was like, listen, I think the reason that most people overeat is because their body is trying to get more protein and they're not getting it through the meals that they're getting, which is, you know, ending in cravings for more and more food. Yeah. Well, Sanders is totally right. Yeah. And he's pretty much saying the same things I am. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, that's, you know, you're the second person now that I've heard it say it in a different way, because some people are like, well, you would, you are hungry for, for more because carbs make you hungry because of the blood sugar roller coaster. Then you have other people that say, well, it's just because it's hyper palatable food, but then you guys are like, listen, it's because your body is trying to get more protein. It's not getting enough. Right, right. Right. It's interesting. Once you crank your protein percent up high enough, uh, carbs versus fat really, really fades into the background. I mean, you look at a bodybuilder who's hitting, you know, 40% of their calories from protein. Uh, they're not paying a huge amount of attention necessarily to their carb versus fat split. They'll pretty much all tell you that they can pull it off with a little higher carb, lower fat or lower fat, higher carb. That part's almost purely optional, just based on personal preference or, you know, maybe a little more carb if you're doing hours of high intensity cardio or something. But yeah, the carb versus fat really fades into the background once you nail the protein, which is for sure the biggest lever you can pull. I love that. And I feel like I, when I'm feeling like I need a snack, I try to ask myself, well, am I hungry enough to eat protein right now? Like whether it be some chicken that I have pre-cooked in my fridge or some hard boiled eggs, something like that. Because if, if you're just, if you're not hungry enough to eat protein, maybe you're just thinking about snacking and, and trying to occupy your time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Most of your entertainment foods are just very low protein. 
So can we take a little step back here and then talk about protein sources? Are there protein sources that you recommend that are more high quality than others? Because like you said, you can get protein from multiple <clears throat> different sources, but some sources aren't as quality as others. Well, I think that like if you if you refine it all the way down into some sort of like protein powder or something, they're fairly equivalent. I mean, you get the same amino acids. They're basically all the same. Uh, but when you start out with just a plant versus an animal, animal proteins are always more complete if you're trying to build an animal like human. Um, basically, a lot of plants have incomplete uh, amino acid spectrum. So animals are basically superior if you're an animal. Um, they have exact right ratio of aminos to build another animal. So animal protein is really always preferable for a couple of reasons. It's more complete. It's more bioavailable. The digestibility is better. You don't have a lot of fiber and things like that binding up some of the protein. So animal proteins are pretty much always superior. And we have this protein digestibility um, scale where we look at how bioavailable protein is. And, you know, things like eggs and whey are always 100% score and um, other uh, animal proteins are really, really up there, you know, 90%, 80%. And then you look at some plant proteins, which are, you know, some of this all the way down to like 20% of availability because the protein's so bound up that you can't really get at it. Um, and then even if you could, it's incomplete. So yeah, animals always better than plants, although you can uh, be perfectly healthy on a really well-formulated plant-based diet. You just have to pay a little more attention to it, make sure you got a complete spectrum, maybe go even a little bit higher on the absolute amount of protein because you're not going to absorb quite as much of it. Um, as long as you understand all these things going in, you can make it work. It's possible. It's not necessarily optimal. Um, yeah. So that was going to be my next question. And you totally answered it is what do people that are working on a plant-based diet do? Because then they're looking at, like you said, well-formulated they're looking at having to combine different protein sources in order to get the proper protein ratio. And that could get a little tricky, especially for somebody that just randomly decides to become a vegan and uh, is just eating, like they look at the peanut butter container and it says eight grams of protein. Uh, and they think that that counts when really they probably need to be mixing it with another form of plant protein that has more essential amino acids. Yeah, right. Yeah, you just have to really understand what you're doing and you have to know, uh, you know, which plant proteins are complete and which ones aren't. And you have to basically pay attention to how much uh, carbohydrate is coming along with your protein source or in the case of peanut butter, uh, you know, a lot of people do consider peanut butter a protein source when it's really just a fat source almost completely. And it has just a trivial amount of protein, in it, unfortunately. Um, so yeah, you have to pay attention to all that stuff. You have to know, <laughs> you have to know a lot. And unfortunately it's really difficult. So that's why I think, you know, so many people have an instant win on something like a carnivore diet because you, you basically just can't screw it up as much. Um, so yeah, it's tough. It's tough. I, I don't specifically recommend plant-based diets because it's so difficult. It's also really expensive. It gets very expensive doing this uh, right on a plant-based diet. 
Now let's talk about plant-based protein powders then while we're in this subject, because that's another hard thing. I find that a lot of the plant-based protein powders that I stumble upon are actually full of a bunch of other ingredients that are really horrible for you. So are there plant-based proteins that you recommend over other plant-based proteins? Oh gosh. Well, so soy is probably the best one. Pea, pro, uh, pea protein powder is pretty good. Um, and you can get a fairly clean version of those. Uh, you know, I have seen some plant-based powders that were non-terrible. Mm -hmm. um, and, and actually, we even have some studies on uh, muscle hypertrophy looking at some of these plant-based proteins versus something like whey. And, and once you've purified it enough, you really are just dealing with amino acids. So it doesn't seem to be that much different. Uh, so yeah, people can use some plant protein powders. It's just so expensive and so refined and so difficult to source that it just really makes it, it makes it almost, uh, impossible for the, like the average person, I think to navigate, but you can definitely do it. I mean, there are vegan bodybuilders out there who are using some very high quality plant protein powders and they're getting, you know, spectacular results. And I cannot argue with that at all. Um, I, I just think it's really difficult for the average person and it's really expensive too. Yeah. And, and that was the other thing, right. Is like they use soy a lot as far as a, uh, protein goes, but then there's so many other things out there on soy saying, no, keep it away from anything that you, you eat or consume. So, uh, that's definitely a difficult one. How do you feel about it? Well, okay. I used to be just absolutely terrified of soy and I've done some more research and I, I think that the fears about soy are a little bit overblown, honestly. Uh, but I still would not sign up to make it the base of my food pyramid for sure. <laughs> I love how you put that. That's awesome. So uh, let's just try to dive into the protein energy um, ratio just a little bit more so that maybe my listeners have an understanding of how that works. Um, because I think some people think that... Um, they don't understand that the, the fat, that fat and carbohydrates can both be energy sources. Most people immediately think of carbohydrates being an, an energy source. So maybe we can um, dive into that just a little bit more so that people understand it a little more thoroughly. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Okay. So protein, protein is very unique, right? Protein has nitrogen in it and <clears throat> protein, your body uses a lot of it structurally, um, it does burn off anything that you don't use for structural purposes because it has to get rid of it because you can't really store it anywhere. But protein is very weird um, because you almost can't get fat from overeating protein. So we have these protein overfeeding studies where they just dump a thousand calories of protein on top of people's pre-existing diets and they don't get fatter. Their lean mass goes up, their energy expenditure goes way up, the thermic effect of food goes way up, uh, but they don't store, they don't seem to store additional fat, right? So protein is kind of different versus carbs and fats. Like fat is just passively stored in your fat cells immediately. Every bit of fat that you eat, if it's not burned on the way to your fat cells, because you're just ripping through so many calories, it's literally all store, just passively stored as fat. Every bit of fat you eat, statistically speaking, is stored as fat. 
which you might or might not burn later based on your overall calorie balance, right? Like how active you are, how much fat you're eating. So you can really just think about dietary fat being stored as uh, body fat, right? That, that's how it works. Carbs are um, interesting. If you've done a ton of exercise and depleted your muscle glycogen or fasted all day and depleted your liver glycogen, the uh, couple hundred grams of carbs will just fall right into your liver and your muscles and really not uh, affect fat storage much at all. So, you know, you can hold about 300 grams of carbs in your muscles. And if you did some exhaustive glycogen depletion workout for 90 minutes or something, you could eat a couple hundred grams of carbs and it just poof disappears into your muscles and it's not really influencing your overall fat balance at all. But if you overeat carbs, if you supersaturate your glycogen in your liver and your muscles, and then you keep eating carbs, it's all just converted into fat and stored. Um, so basically also all the carbs you eat are just evenly isocalorically displacing fat oxidation. So let's say I'm just in a fasted state and I'm burning you know, car, uh, fat at a certain rate. If I eat carbohydrate, that will downshift my fat oxidation isocalorically because I'm going to burn off the carbs first and then I go back to burning fat. So carbs and fat are on this nice smooth little seesaw where eating carb displaces fat oxidation and not eating carb raises fat oxidation. But overall, it comes down to fat balance, which is basically how many grams of fat you eat versus how many you burn. And then carbs are a little bit different because there's this extra storage in your liver if you're fasted and extra storage in your muscle if you're exercising. So kind of in the book, we talk about the protein energy ratio is basically looking at grams of protein in your food versus grams of non-fiber carbohydrate or digestible or glycemic carbohydrate, the, carb, the carbs that are going to turn into glycogen or fat uh, versus and grams of fat. So you, you're literally dividing protein grams by energy grams, which is non-fiber carbs and fat. And you're looking at that overall ratio. And in the book, we have this sort of graphical format where you graph out the protein to energy ratio of your diet and can kind of get a flavor for, you know, where you're at, where the standard American diet is at. You know, like, so hunter-gatherers, uh, worldwide hunter-gatherer macro estimates are about 33% protein by calories. And standard American diet is 12.5% protein by calories. And, you know, you, you can maximally, you get maximum obesity out of a lab rat at about 10% protein by calories and then 45% carb, 45% fat. So we're pretty, we're almost at like peak obesity ratios in the United States. And then if you pay attention to this and raise that, you're basically just going to automatically eat less. Um, it works pretty well. Yeah. I love how you said all that. And especially the fiber part. Cause a lot of people don't realize like when they eat broccoli, I'm not sure what the actual gram is, but like, you'll look and you'll be like, Holy smokes. That was like 10 grams of carbs for that cup. But then you look at the fiber amount and it's like nine, you know? So I, and you right. can't, you're not using that fiber for energy. You're, you're not even digesting it. It's just mostly going through you and that's the end of it. Right. 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 Yeah. So fiber, it basically provides maybe maybe one calorie per gram um, if you're fermenting it in your intestine. And so you get a lot of satiety from fiber because it's basically weight and volume, uh, but you don't get calories from it. So it is helpful. I used to think, oh, fiber is dumb. It's not important. Nobody needs fiber. I can just live on ribeye all day long. And then I realized, oh, there's, there's a reason why all of these 
fitness models are eating these giant salads every day and they're you know eating a lot of foods like broccoli and asparagus and it turns out that humans basically eat the same weight of food like humans eat four to six pounds of food every day almost irrespective of how many calories are in it so if you're if you're adding in a pound or two of broccoli in your four to six pounds uh you're just going to automatically eat less calories versus if all of your you know food is potato chips or something which weighs almost nothing for the calories involved you're it, because it's dehydrated it has no protein no fiber no water and it's just dehydrated carbs and oil um you get just the very highest caloric density and you massively overeat this stuff and that's why potato chips are the number one food most associated with obesity so yeah it really comes down to satiety per calorie and fiber is actually pretty good for that yeah i like that a lot and that is the truth i remember back in my bodybuilding days i would literally eat i would call my coach and be like i'm so hungry can i just eat like asparagus and she'd be like yeah go for it and i would literally mm -hmm. eat like a pound of asparagus in one sitting because it would it would help keep me satiated oh yeah well then you know all about it. asparagus is like an amazing bodybuilder food because it's just a ridiculous protein to energy ratio it's actually a high protein uh, asparagus is about 40 percent protein by calories because there's so few calories in it um and so it's just a pretty amazing hack if you're trying to lose weight yeah yeah definitely so i i and the funny part was is when i first became a competitive bodybuilder I didn't care for asparagus, but by the end of it, I just love this stuff because I was so used to eating it. It's like it reprogrammed mm -hmm. my mind or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I had a question for you and you may or may not be able to answer it. And this is totally random, but when it comes to proteins, um, you know, eggs are one of those that, that can be kind of a, a controversial one. Um, and, and a lot of people, they're trying to get the protein without adding the fat. So what they do is they remove the yolk, as you're probably aware. So then people are just eating egg whites. Now, there are some people out there that say that once you remove the yolk, it's an incomplete protein source. How do you feel about that? Do you know anything on that? Oh, yeah, I, I do think egg white is a complete protein source. Uh, the, I, I, I see where some people are coming from because a lot of the nutrition is in the yolk. I mean, the choline, for example, uh, most people are choline deficient. They're not getting enough choline in their diet. They desperately need a couple of yolks in their day. So, uh, <clears throat> but, but then again, like, you know, some people say, oh, it's, it's terrible to extract all the um, egg white and not use the rest of the egg because, you know, it's not, then it's not a whole food, but then these same people will like suck all the milk fat off of their milk and just eat butter. And like, that's okay. Butter's okay. But egg whites are not okay. I'm like, this is like a protein anti-protein bias here. <laughs> so you can't tell me butter's fine and that egg whites are not fine. I just refuse to even listen to that. Right. That's, I don't know what kind of, um, <laughs> keto high fat nonsense that is but like it's okay for us to eat butter and you can't have whey powder or egg whites oh okay sure um so i think that egg whites are totally fine and honestly i think that um a really good combination is some whole egg and some egg white if you're if you're trying to lose weight i think anyone at their goal weight can just basically eat eggs right no problem 30 percent protein that's pretty dang reasonable it's an excellent maintenance food. 
So if you're at your goal weight, just eat whole eggs and don't even worry about it. And just eat a eat a whole cow. Just throw a whole cow in a blender and eat. You know, uh, you're fine. Yeah. But it, if you're trying to get thinner, if your goal is weight loss, you might want to do like a couple eggs and then some egg whites. You know, that works really well. That's what all of your bodybuilders are doing, as you well know. That's exactly egg white is a phenomenal hack because you won't find a protein that's higher quality and then has so much weight and volume for the amount of calories like if you you know you get the little carton of egg whites and scramble that up you've got you know two pounds of food it's an insane amount of weight and volume so it's a brilliant hack for fat loss and i would just hate to not tell people to use something like that when it's a really high quality protein and a really good secret you know well and then the thing i like about egg whites is i mean a lot of people do these protein shakes and stuff like that, but sadly the protein uh, shake market, like the protein supplement market is horrible. Like if you go and you look at like the reviews and like things that have been lab tested, some of these proteins on the market are not even, there's not even any protein in them. <laughs> like they say they're 20 grams, but they're not vetted. So like there's there, they get an F score when, when they uh, put them in like a lab and actually test them. So it's really hard unless you're buying you what you know is a super, super high quality protein supplement to get a good one. And I know so many people that don't know that and they go to Walmart or wherever and they buy their Equate brand protein powder. And then they find out that it doesn't even actually have protein in it. Like it says it does. So, um, you know, or maybe it has like a nil amount, uh, but yeah. So I think egg whites are a much easier way to go. A, a you can drink them. They are pasteurized. They are safe. They are used in all sorts of th- kinds of cooking cooked or not. And, uh, you know, I think they're, they're a lot cleaner whole food source than a lot of these protein powders out here that have so many additives and fillers. Yeah, I think you're right. That's a actually a really good point. Yeah, definitely. I mean, so I would rather say, Hey client, take this egg white shake and add, you know, a banana and a tablespoon of peanut butter, and you're still going to get far more protein to energy ratio out of that than you would, um, you know, some nasty shake filled with a bunch of garbage and then eating your oatmeal. (laughs) Yeah, definitely true. Yeah. It's you're totally right. I agree. Awesome. Um, so what else would be important for people to know about this? If they're trying to start upping their protein intakes, um, are there other tips or suggestions you have for people? Well, uh, so honestly, I do think that most people would benefit from tracking for at least a short period of time, like, uh, uh, just being able to like, so you, because you're a bodybuilder and you, you can just glance at stuff and you can literally, it's like you're in the matrix where you can see exactly how many grams of proteins in this food and then how many grams of fat or carbs are attached to it. Like, and so you can just look at, you can just look, you just see the ones and the zeros, right? And uh, your average person cannot do that. It's a skill that you have to learn. So I think tracking for just a short period of time is actually probably worth its weight in gold for the average person who's trying to get better results than what they've gotten before. And you, you literally just get out your app, you know, your MyFitnessPal or your Fat Secret or your whatever you want. And uh, you just plug in everything you eat. And then some people are like, holy crap, I never realized that I thought this was kind of a protein source and it's really just fat. 
like it's all fat or this is all carbs or holy crap you know and when you actually start looking at this then you it's really eye-opening and you're like wow i'm not eating nearly as much protein as i thought i was i'm eating way more fat than i thought i was and uh then you can just work on rebalancing that and it it honestly just looks like choosing leaner proteins you're like okay i'm gonna pick a leaner protein i'm gonna eat more of it i'm gonna have less added fats i'm gonna have less carby stuff and that's pretty much how it works and so uh, i think that you know bodybuilders figured this out like a hundred years ago and everybody else is just trying to catch up to be honest you know my whole book is really just a way of rebranding and repackaging bodybuilding diets for like your average person who who just you know just wants to eat something that looks good you know Absolutely. And you know, I love that you said that. I honestly think it would be so incredible if school systems could teach kids about macronutrients. I mean, it's basic. I mean, I know there's a lot involved and micronutrients are very important too, but, but I mean, I'm telling you my kids, like I have a seven-year-old and a 14-year-old and they know what protein carbs and fat are. And they can look at a label and be like, this has 20 grams of protein, or this has eight grams of protein, or this has 20 carbs. And holy cow, my, my son was looking at the breakfast syrup this morning. He goes, there's 53 grams of sugar in a tablespoon of this. And I was like, yeah. You know, like, like, I think that it should be a basic class and it's not, it's not anything that's rocket science. It's, it's three little things. And it would be so important to our future generations that are struggling with all of these chronic illnesses, because it's, it, I, I don't believe in obsessing over Mac counting macros, but everybody doing it for a portion of time, even if it's six months out of their life would give them a huge understanding for what they're putting in their mouth. Absolutely. Like, honestly, your average person has no idea what they're eating and they just eat whatever sounds good. Like, you know, just like a five-year-old, they're like, oh, sure. I'll have a Trenta Frappuccino. That sounds awesome. That sounds delicious. This is yummy. And, and, and that's where most people are at. And uh, you're right. It, it's just, uh, I think that, you know, it, it's sad because we don't teach people this. How are they expected to know? And then we just flood the entire food environment with garbage. Like you're just surrounded by garbage. Now, now you could do fine only, only because of knowledge. I could drop you into a McDonald's and lock you in there for months. And you'd literally just eat the grilled chicken breast, the salad, um, some diet Coke, and you'd be fine. You'd come out ripped and jacked and everybody else would be like 10 billion pounds. And it's just because you know what to eat, right? And the average person has no clue. And I think you're right. We're just, we're not doing a good job um, teaching people. And then we're just flooding their environment with, with uh, garbage. It's, it's, it's a perfect recipe for an obesity epidemic. I mean, it's no surprise. And what if, I know this sounds crazy, but what if every restaurant was required to have a MyFitnessPal barcode or something on their recipe so that people could track it. I mean, mm -hmm. it would be brilliant. And, and I mean, we're already starting to do it with foods and things like that. Like I tell people, um, even yesterday, I made a post about it, buying those little two ounce cups on Amazon. And if you're going to have some granola with your yogurt, then weigh all your granolas out into the two ounce cups so that when you pull them out of the refrigerator, you know exactly how much is there and you can log it. And, uh, 
you know, what if we actually started changing things so that they were easier for people to track and they had a better understanding of what they were eating? I mean, sorry, but screw all these masks and all this crap like that. Let's teach people how to be healthy and we don't have to worry about that kind of crap. That would be nice. Uh, I mean, uh, I feel like it's mostly economic, you know, it's just like proteins the most expensive carbs and fats are so cheap. They're almost free. And <clears throat> Uh, I, I think it's just pure economics. Like, you know, if, if I was selling food, you better believe I'd just sell carbs and fats together because it's so yummy and tasty. People are going to eat a ton of it. It has a shelf life for a million years and it's just dirt cheap. And that's just what we've got. I mean, it's just like, uh, it's pretty much all economic and I don't know how to fix that it, it, you know i do i do feel like the government is subsidizing the wrong stuff which is actively like m making things worse yeah so if it seems like we have some low-hanging fruit on stuff we could fix but yeah yeah well i think starting with um teaching kids a little bit more about macronutrients would be an awesome place to go for sure mm-hmm um, so Ted, you know, it's been a pleasure and you have so much knowledge. If people want to go find you, look into your book, um, any of that stuff, how do they go about doing that? Oh, okay. Well, probably the best thing I've produced is the book, the PE diet, and you can go to the PE diet.com to pick up a copy of it. There's a, uh, just a PDF version. That's uh, pretty cheap. The, um, the actual physical book is available on like Amazon and, Barnes and Noble and anywhere you can buy books online, but it's super expensive because I, I, I wrote it with William Schufeld and we didn't have a publisher. We self-published. So each physical book is like printed on demand and it's so expensive. So our hard copy book is very pricey. And uh, I don't know if I can recommend that just because it's so expensive and the re we're not like making a billion dollars on it. We're just like boutique style individually printing each book that's ordered because we don't have a publisher, which is sad. You know, such is life, right? Anybody that wants to help people, <laughs> you're not making a lot of money on it, you right. know, and, and it's funny because, uh, you know, I recently quit my day job of 14 years and just went straight into, into like coaching people and people were like, oh, we must be doing pretty well with that. And I was like, no, you know, I don't make a million on it, but you know what I do? I love it. So I don't care. Like, mm -hmm. you know pay me horrible all day long. I'm happy with it because when I can see people making changes and all of a sudden understanding health and then it's contagious, it gets to their friend, their mother-in-law, their brother, that's worth it to me. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Yeah. It is super rewarding to help people like that. That's awesome. Nice job. Well, it's been a pleasure, Ted, and I appreciate you and what you're doing and keep spreading the good word. Oh, thanks. And same to you. Well, that wraps up another episode. If you guys want to look more into what Dr. Naaman is doing, definitely go check him out. His book, I put a link in the show notes to Amazon for his book, The PE Diet. There's a lot of really great information and illustrations in there. If you get the hard copy, they also have a downloadable PDF, which is really awesome as well. So definitely go check him out. That link is in the show notes. I certainly appreciate you guys sharing your time with me today. It is so appreciated. And if you need to know any other information, please visit my website, www.connynightingale.com. I have a ton of excellent information on there. 
links to lab work, recipes, a whole downloadable recipe package that you guys can link up to, tons of amazing resources, and I am trying to improve it every day. Uh, the other thing is, is I do have a fitness motivation group on Facebook where I post a ton of great information. Um, it's just called Fitness Tips and Motivation. If you have trouble finding it, go ahead and friend me on Facebook or on Instagram. There is a direct, direct link in my link tree to that group and many other awesome resources. All right, guys, that wraps it up. I will chat at you again next Monday. 